0: Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. And I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. And uh, we're back. We are back. The second one in a row. Yeah. I think we do three and then it's... Uh,
1: well, we're, we're going to hit... We're going to have new episodes all through the holidays. But yeah. we may have some creative recording opportunities. A little break. Opportunities. Yeah,
0: having some fun. Yeah. Uh, so how's your day going? Pretty good. I mean, working, you know. Yeah. Work. Well, so uh, my day started out uh, with doing live TV, and then I had to go do my- At uh, up- what time? Uh, 4.30 in the mornings when I get up. Um, Man. And then battled the snowy roads uh, to get to Utah County uh, and had a wonderful live morning shot. And then I had to go back to my- You had, up-
1: you had to drive all the way to Utah, Utah County. County?
0: Yeah. Wow. And then, uh, and then I went to my other job, which is a marketer for a title company. Right. It's called Old Republic Title. Yep. And they've been wonderful to me. And so we had this meeting and as they're giving me motivation to get out there because it's a down economy, but, you know, businesses will tell you this is a good time to make moves where you can acquire new clients and all that stuff. So they, they often start out by giving you motivation to kind of get you motivated through the day and, and to go out and do pump, your you, job, up. pump you up. Yep. And so uh, the guy who sat down and was running the meeting, he goes, do you know about this word? And I thought I didn't know about the word, but you probably did. You know about anti-fragile? Anti-fragile? Is that something? Fragile? Well, and that's must what I thought Italian. about the Christmas story. And that goes, that must be expensive. anti-fragile.
1: I mean, I can put those words together. Yeah, yeah, that so. means it's strong.
0: Y- yes. 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 And so, <laughs> so they were talking about you know things yeah. that like that like a human is anti-fragile okay does that not make sense i i'm i'm,
1: I'm with you They're, okay so we're like, resilient we're strong yeah so we're anti-fragile it seems like we're making up words now but go ahead
0: well, well i bought into it because <laughs> yeah, i actually heard nice, him, I, it's it, a good it idea like, it was like i just watched a rocky movie i was ready to fight anybody who stood in front of me i
1: mean you could have he could have just said resilient
0: resilient but yeah. okay well so he said anti-fragile i like it sure. and then he went on to talk about how uh pressure is a privilege and it's because he read this story in Forbes magazine from Billie Jean King you know who she was (laughs) God. I'm not making this up, bro. I don't know why you're laughing.
1: It's like we got Forbes magazine, Billy G. King, and, and Life Philosophy. I love it. Yes. Bring it on. But, but he, like she's he was, a tennis – great, yes. famous tennis player. And yeah. she
0: was talking about how pressure is a privilege. Sure. And what a responsibility and what an opportunity that was. And she went on to say that uh,
1: – Like the pressure of her career. Of her and career. Having to compete against other people. Sure. And
0: yeah. at one point, she's standing out there in the middle of Wimbledon and – She had some anxiety and some pressure going because this is what she'd been fighting for. This is what she'd been going for. Right. And so what an opportunity this was to prove to herself and to her family and to her friends and to followers and even the naysayers, if you will. Sure. And then she goes on to say, you know, life would be pretty good if there was no pressure because then there's no expectation. Mm -hmm. And, and, And but when you really strip that down, how sad is that? Right. You, you know what I mean? And so that goes back to telling you that pressure is a privilege because you have people depending on you. You have things that you're shooting for and that you're going for. So to feel that pressure means that you're moving in the right direction.
1: It's a it's a privilege in what sense? Um,
0: That you've got yourself in a position where there is pressure on you to perform, to do the things that so you have.
1: It means you have an opportunity to make something happen. happen. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then they go on to say, uh, you know. What's the use of a gift if you
1: don't share it with others? You might just enjoy it yourself. (laughs) <laughs> well, but I think the true. Use, Sorry, I'm being snarky. I, no, think I know what tr- you're saying the
0: true use of a gift like, is giving it to others. Yeah, yeah, and that goes back to kind of the recovery yeah. is that somebody gave me the gift, and they picked up the phone and they listened to me. Of, a lot of
1: somebody's right? and they helped yeah. me. Yeah. And
0: yeah. whether it was you, my family, my girlfriend, my ex-wife, my kids, there were so many people there that you know were there and afforded me this gift. Yeah, and so that's what I want to do with this podcast is give this back to the community that's given me so much. Yeah. And, I, and I really love that. And then the last one that they had is pressure can break an egg. But don't forget, it's the same thing that can form a diamond. So you've got to figure out who you are and how you're going to handle pressure. Right, And that pressure is a privilege that you'll be able to grow from that. Because it brings me back to what you said early on in the podcast. Resistance promotes growth.
1: Exactly right.
0: Yep. I felt like I just gave a talk. You did. I I feel like this is a good TED talk. And
1: when when, when he was talking to me, I was was buying. No, everything he said is true. I mean, except for the science on pressure creating diamonds, but we won't get into that. But it's a nice thought. It doesn't? Not really. No, that's not how diamonds are made. But I like the thought, and it's a nice analogy, and we all have bought into it, and so we'll just go with it.
0: Well, you know what? With your attitude right now, you could be on Santa's naughty list.
1: <laughs> you're not playing well this morning. I, I know, I'm being a little snarky. Um, but I am actually 100% on board with everything you're saying, and the truth is that I you've had so like well so what I was thinking when you said the permission, the pressure is is a privilege and then, you know, gifts are to be shared, and it's like, well, so so does that mean like when you feel the pressure, because right before we started the show today, mm-hmm. you were talking about a golf tournament. We won't name the the tournament, but that by the end of the tournament, because there was so much alcohol involved, everybody was just sloppy drunk, and, right? You know, and there's pressure in your life all the time because you travel a lot, you're around alcohol often. Uh, you've chosen not to try to cut that out of your life in a social way, but. Personally, it is cut out of your life. So the pressure when you feel that you're around alcohol and everything, does that feel like a privilege to keep giving back to the people that gave to you? Yes. To, to continue to be sober.
2: A
0: hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, I didn't, I didn't see a world that I could live in that I could cut it out of because of
1: who I am
0: and what I do.
1: Like back in the day.
0: Well, no, no, like right now, oh. like where you say, I cut out uh, alcohol. I cut it out for myself oh, because I, I yeah, can't yeah. handle it.
1: You'd have to have a total career life change to and, do that. Right?
0: And that's not a life I want to live. Right. I want to do what I do and what I love. And I want to hang out with the people who I love and like. And some of them imbibe. Some of them party and some of them do right. those. But for me, I know that alcohol is no good in my system. Nothing good is going to come from putting any alcohol in my system. And, 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 the opposite side of that, it is going to ruin everything that I've worked so hard to get back. Yeah. So I think that would go back to the pressure is a privilege. And, and I've got the privilege of being able to do what I love and hang out with who I want. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I can't drink and I don't want to drink because I have this privilege of living this life that I want.
1: Well, I can just tell you, um, I get feedback on a pretty regular basis from people uh, some people who've just barely found out that you were sober, that, you know, don't tune into the news all the time and now you're back. And I've had some people say, Don't you know Casey? Where'd he go? And I said, Well, we actually do a show together and we talk, you know, about it. And finding out that lots and lots of people have been positively influenced by you dealing with this pressure of being sober. And I think you don't really see it so much as a negative pressure anymore. I think no. you see it as a privilege. I, I, 100% sure. A hundred percent privilege. Yeah. That, but, yeah. but it, it is a privilege because it's a gift that you get to give back to others again, kind of a, along the lines of this. The, it, so this whole thing's thrown me off. I just like as, I, I gotta take a break here no, for a yeah, second. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, I don't know. Josh, are you okay with this? Because what I'm seeing here is, first of all, he has leather shoes on uh-huh. and, a, and a pair of pants. Okay so what i 'm seeing here, I want the listeners to imagine so i 'm i 'm looking at Casey for the first time in my life. He has nice suede leather shoes on, a pair of khakis, a sweater with a collar poking out underneath, which i i didn 't know you owned and you have a notebook with a pen, and you took notes this morning. I did. This is, I am living in bizarro world right now. Normally, if
0: you see me this dressed up,
1: it means I'm going to court. Yeah. But I don't go to court anymore. But I've never seen you take notes about anything. I've done shows with you. We've done radio. We've done TV. We've done podcasts. I've never seen you take a note. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying this to This is the new. I'm, I'm trying to get. The new and improved. I'm trying to be better. Wow. Right? I'm impressed. Don't get used to it. <laughs> I didn't know you even had a sweater or a shirt with a collar. I'm I am impressed. Thank you. You are Now you do have a hat. With a hot dog on it. Yeah. And to be fair, this is a golf shirt underneath it. <laughs> I knew it was, but yeah. I wasn't going to blow that for the listeners. It's but okay. There you but you do have a golf golf hat with a hot dog on it. It's a glizzy. Uh, and whatever that is. I know we tried to talk about that ahead of time. but I That's still... what
0: the kids call a hot dog. I so
1: didn't... they'll be like, hey, let's go to the Costco and get a glizzy. Since you don't know what a glizzy is, I'm not sure you should say that. It's it a, a hot dog. I'm pretty sure. This is the glizzy it hat. It could be a euphemism. Uh I'm pretty guess, sure it's just a hot dog. Uh, okay. All right. Cool. I'm going to have to look up uh, that in the Urban Dictionary later. The glizzing. The answer you're going to get there will
0: not be one you want. <laughs> I can tell you that right now.
1: Well, I hope it's a hot dog. <laughs> it but won't be. I, I'm glad you brought this up because yesterday I actually had a long conversation with somebody about that quote that I like, which you brought up, which is resistance promotes growth. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that on a, gl- like a universal global level- on every level of life, everything that grows has to go through some resistance. Everything, whether we're talking about plants or how babies are born. Muscles. Or how you create, yeah, get in healthy shape, how you produce anything, uh, how you learn anything. We have to go through resistance in order to grow. And I was having this sort of philosophical conversation with this 20 something who was feeling really down about the trials and struggles that they're having in their life right now, which are many. Um, but the reality is if you see it as a privilege, if you're like, this is an opportunity for me to grow. It's usually never, almost never one we want. Yeah. Right. Like most of the time our, our struggles are put upon us or maybe are a result of our behavior, but they're not things we seek out typically, but they are opportunities to grow, and so I think that uh, everybody should start their day uh, with somebody kind of giving them a, a, a pump-up speech to, to, to look good. at your things that way. I can tell you, you that was positive for you. You I took if, notes, so I'm, yeah. I'm impressed.
0: And I don't know if I heard this in the Bible or from a <laughs> uh, Rocky movie.
1: but I'm guessing this the latter, but go
0: ahead. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I feel feel like that's a Rocky movie thing. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. But that's, uh, but bo- boiling it down, that's what all this means. If it doesn't kill you, it's going to make you stronger on the other side, whether it's addiction, whether it's financial, whether it's relationship, you know, if you make it on the other side, you're going to be a better
1: person for you it. You can take all those challenges and grow from them. And I think a lot of it has to do with perception and having conversations like this um, with people help shape our perception of things. So I, I think that's awesome. No, huh. I'm, I'm. I'm glad you had that experience, and I'm glad that I'm seeing you, the the new and improved uh, Casey Scott. Yeah, PhD, Glizzy, Professor Glizzy.
0: <laughs> I love it. Hey, well, we've got a great show for you today. If you're still around, and we hopefully you are. Uh, her, name I is, think that was one of our best intros. I liked it. But wait till you meet Saquon. Yeah. Saquon, do you feel like in your life you've had a lot of pressure, a lot of resistance, a lot of ups, downs, and growth on the other end? Absolutely. And we can't wait to hear your story. You're listening to Project Recovery. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our guest today is Saquon. Did I get it right that time? Yes. Saquon Colobus. Yes. And where does the story of Saquon Colibus begin?
2: Oh, it all started as a fetus. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you're taking us way back.
2: Yes. Um, so born in the 80s. Yeah. Born addicted to PCP. You were born addicted. Okay. So,
0: so party, you're, party you're,
2: started right from the beginning.
0: Your mom was a PCP user. Yes. And so you're born... Uh, and addicted to that. Yes. And so I don't even know how that works. I mean, I mean, I know how that works, but so when you're in the hospital,
2: they have to detox you from it or what happened? She had me at home. Oh. With a midwife. Okay. And she was actually, uh, she was on mushrooms the day she had me. Mm Mm-hmm. She did coke the first three months she was breastfeeding me. So it's just.
1: So your your system was flooded, yeah, with substances from the get go. Mm-hmm. Did did you do you know if if you were born underweight? Did you need any extra? Oh, no, no, okay. Because no. sometimes th- mm. that can create like uh, an er- early delivery, an underweight baby. Yeah, um, but oh, uh, I was uh, eight
2: know. pounds, eight pounds oh, ten yeah. ounces.
0: I think that's a good sized baby. Yeah. So I, I got to ask you, how do you know? like that your mom was doing cocaine the first three months of your life and she was on mushrooms. Like when you find out this information, did she say it to you in a bragging way or I mean, th- does that make sense? Cause mm-hmm. I, I wonder how you get that kind of information. Right. Funny
2: story. Yeah. Um, I was 15 and my parents had their, their bedroom in the, the downstairs part of the house. And I was going downstairs. I was going to, borrow my mom's Walkman, like CD player Walkman, because I was going to go work out. Uh So I go down, and I just – I didn't know she was in her room. And I just walked in her bedroom. And when I walked in, she was just coming up from doing a line. And I was like, whoa. You know, I knew my mom partied. We talked about it. I didn't know she partied like that. Yeah. But –
1: At 15, did you know what cocaine was and snorting cocaine and all that? Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, You watch TV. You knew. Yeah. This time (laughs) – so she started doing meth when I was three, and that's was her thing. So that's what she was doing. So I walked in. I was like, "Oh, that's okay." It kind of bothered me because, I mean, hello, you see your parents doing a line, you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah, I mean that's. And then she turned around. She saw me. She goes, "Oh, my gosh! I never wanted my kids to see me doing that." But now that the secret's out of the, you know, now that the secret's out, yeah. I'm just going to tell you everything. So she sat you down? Yeah. I smoked angel dust every day when I was pregnant with you. That's why you're so smart.
1: <laughs> that was her interpretation, huh?
0: Yeah. So she gave you a, a history and a schooling of all the drugs she mm-hmm. was currently in taking. Mm-hmm. So do you remember the first time you tried a substance? Mm-hmm.
2: When? Um, First time I ever tried – I mean tried to smoke weed when I was 13 with my older brother. Um, Did acid in junior high with some friends. But then the first time um, I ever did meth was off of her stash and it was after I saw her doing it. I was like, hmm, I think I might want to try that, see what the big deal is. And was it a big so, deal? So you were 15 at yeah. the time. And I would just go down there and, like, steal little, like, pinches out of her stash and go on that workout bike like a maniac.
1: <laughs> wow. So. so do you feel like – I'm just kind of back to the neurodevelopment part. <laughs> like, your mom said you're really smart. Mm-hmm. Did Do you feel like there were any negative effects? Because it's, it's funny how neurodevelopment happens. Sometimes little things can create big changes in a – a fetus and an infant, and sometimes not. So Mm -hmm. any learning disabilities, problems like that growing up that that you...
2: Do you feel like you were a smart child? Yeah, I was always in the gifted classes. Okay. So, I mean, I hate to say that she was right, but emotionally...
1: Well, let me just throw a little wrench in that. Okay, please. please Not really. I'm just going to say there were a lot of other kids in the gifted classes whose Mm -hmm. parents didn't use angel dust. So I'm just saying it probably wasn't that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you were probably uh, very bright naturally Mm -hmm. and were in the gifted class despite the fact Mm -hmm. that your mom used angel dust. I'm just saying.
2: Yeah. Oh, no.
1: Stats wise, that's that's the angle I would take. Yeah. So you you should own it. It wasn't. Mom's angel dust. It was all yep. you.
0: So you smoked weed with your brother when you were thirteen. Tried you to, tried yeah, to, you tried to. What does that mean? You said that twice. Bill
2: Clinton. I didn't inhale. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: And then at fifteen, you took acid with some friends at school, and then that's when you found out about your mom's stash of meth. And you... no, I no, I did acid when I was thirteen. Oh wow. Yeah. And then you started, uh, you know, pinching some stuff off of your mom's supply. Mm-hmm. And did you fall in love with meth instantaneously?
2: I thought it was pretty cool. What did you like about it? Um, just the – the – feeling. You like the buzz. Mm-hmm. So the other two drugs
1: that you tried, the not inhaling the weed and the, and mm-hmm. the acid, th- those are going to be sort of trippy and mellow and, mm-hmm. and psychedelic perhaps for a kid. It doesn't seem like you gravitated that way. You went oh, no, more
2: I, t- I, I like those. Oh, you like those too? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because eventually I did start inhaling. <laughs>
1: okay. And but sometimes people, they, they, they kind of find their DOC based on experimenting and something will really hook them. Mm-hmm. So for you, was it sort of poly substance abuse, anything goes, or did you really yeah. like the, the, the
2: meth? I liked uh, the psychedelics. And when I turned, I think I first did ecstasy, I was 16 or 17. That was my jam for like two or three years, you know, getting into the rave scene. And Mm -hmm. so, so I need to paint a picture for people
0: at home uh, who are just listening. Uh, Some people watch us on YouTube. Some watch us on through Facebook and stuff like that. But uh, you're a beautiful lady, but you've got a fluorescent green (laughs) Mohawk, (laughs) a nice tattoo over your chest. Uh, Yeah. Uh, You some some vibrant colored glasses. Um, Did you always kind of go down that lane in, junior high and high school yes and so that
2: was kind of who were your people in high school um the punks the punk rockers the well seventh grade was more of like the deadhead a eh, you know stoner crowd mm-hmm. and then uh
1: that's the acid
2: yeah <laughs> um found the minor threat black flag misfit crowd yeah yeah, the goths, gothic industrials.
0: And then you started getting into raves and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh why you're, you know, partying in your early years, let's just say fifteen to eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh still going
2: to school, still living at home? Um, so I actually took some college classes when I was in tenth grade to apply towards graduation credits. So I did that for a couple of years and um, my mom signed me out my senior year cause I just, I was, <laughs> high school wasn't doing it for me anymore. Mm-hmm. So she signed me out and I went to, you know, Horizonte where you just fill out some packets and you're done.
1: Alternative high school here yep. in Salt Lake. Yep.
2: So. So graduated early. Yeah. Uh, wish I would have stayed in and actually got like my high school diploma. Yeah. At any point, do you start partying with your mom? No. That's one thing that – I don't know. It was just a a feeling. I didn't want to cross that line. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. I mean I don't, but – I party with my friends. Like we go hard to the paint. I party with my people, not my mom. It just didn't feel – Did your parents approve of you using? Did they know how much you were using? Did Um, you get caught –
1: Pinching from your mom's stash. In trouble with the law?
2: So I didn't get in trouble with the law until 22, 22. Um, Up until then, no, she, because I was just doing like little bits at a time. And then i you know, of course you find your own people. So I'd start getting my own stuff. But I mean, she, she was fine with me. Like she knew I'd tried acid, she knew you know I was smoking weed.
1: so they so. were kind of like the, the term is cool parents, like they they allow, they didn't try to stop you from doing it Well,
2: my dad was gone a lot because he works in the movie industry or worked in the movie industry, um, so he was out of state a lot, so he he was there as much as he could be, mm-hmm. but my mom was just like, "Yeah, whatever, you know, Woodstock, hey, peace, love, drugs, sex. Great. So you,
0: you graduated a little early. You wish you would have stayed around to get your actual diploma, but that
2: didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, after high school, where do you go? Um, I took some more college classes. Just Did, you have, did do. you have a
0: profession in mind? Mm-hmm. Uh, just no. just thought this is what um, you to do. I wanted to fashion do fashion
2: design, but I was partying too hard really to to make it. Out of state to the school that I wanted to go to. So, but I got uh, I got my own little apartment that only lasted four and a half months. Why? Because I was working at Contempo Casuals and <laughs> Crossroads Mall making like four something an hour, five something an hour. So um, do you fall in love? Yeah. I thought I met the man of my dreams when I was 17. Uh-huh. Met him at seventeen, <clears throat> married at eighteen, okay, baby at nineteen, uh huh, separated at twenty, uh huh, divorced at twenty-one.
1: Huh. <clears throat> well, there was a big event every year. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got to give you that. Yes. Well, that I mean that's sort of the path that that a lot of people take. I mm-hmm. think, right? We think at a young age, a we we've got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. B somehow a relationship is going to help us. A grown up, and then we realize that maybe those relationships aren't the best. So how, yeah. how did how did how did the divorce end? Yeah. Why?
2: Um. So after we had our daughter, mm-hmm. who was the coolest kid on the face of the planet, um, there was no like physical relationship between he and I anymore and, you know, I wanted to work it out, you know, new mom, new wife, barely 19 years old, like this is kind of what I'm planning on doing with the rest of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And he sits down with me and he's like, well, Saquon, it's after he had the baby, I just completely lost all my attraction to you. I think that's the root of all of our problems. Wow. Okay, well, I should be the most beautiful woman on the face of planet to you now, but I guess watching that come out just ruined it for you. And that sounds like you didn't take it too well. No, no, I moved back in with mom and started getting high again. And
1: can I can I ask you? I mean, it's a pretty personal question, I guess, but you know, your mom used mm-hmm. during her pregnancy with you, and she admitted to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did you use during your pregnancy?
2: So I vowed – when I found out I was pregnant, I vowed I would never have the type of relationship with my daughter that I had with my mom because it was very toxic. Um, So just to give you an overview of how my teenage years went, 12 years old. The D.A.R.E. program. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the D.A.R.E. program. So I come home from school. I'm in sixth grade. Okay, mom, they're having this contest. Whoever makes the best D.A.R.E. poster gets a free D.A.R.E. t-shirt. Will you help me make a D.A.R.E. poster? <gasps> Absolutely not. Well, wh- why not? Because the D.A.R.E. program is the government's way to brainwashing our children. You need to try every drug at least once and see which one's going to be yours. I hope it's not heroin, but if it is, Take the pill for him. Don't shoot it.
1: So your mom had a different kind of drug education in mind yeah.
0: for you. Hers was dare also. It's drugs are really expensive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dare dare to try drugs yeah. apparently yeah. Was, yep. was. So how did that affect a little 12-year-old person who was so excited about the poster and then all of a sudden you meet with the opposite message?
2: You're giving me permission to go out and – Oh. It was on and cracking. It was on and cracking. And we're mm-hmm. going to find
0: out what that means in just a few seconds. You're listening to Saquon's story right here on Project Recovery. So you're divorced. You're back living with your mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you say you're back
2: doing drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, what does that look like? Um having to get a full-time job and just dealing with the pain of everything Mm -hmm. Um, started doing meth again because as soon as i found out i was pregnant i stopped everything right and i was doing everything acid mushrooms ecstasy meth coke everything Mm -hmm. as soon as i found out i was pregnant er, cold turkey
0: And then your husband drops a bombshell on you. You Mm -hmm. move back with mom, Mm -hmm. and you got to get a full-time job. You're living with your mom. Mm -hmm. You're now a a mother, Mm -hmm. and a lot of pressure. A lot of work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you go to the tried and true what you've known to work in the past, and Mm -hmm. that is meth. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of moms feel the same way and um, use that as their answer, And it works until it doesn't work. When does it stop working for you?
2: Very quickly. Um, I discovered crack for a little while. Mm -hmm. And that took me down a dark, dark road I never thought I'd go down. What do you mean? Well, I just never thought I would do the things, you know, that I ended up doing. Mm -hmm. A legal secretary by day, but turning tricks out of some dude's house for a couple hits of crack at night. Not
0: good. No, no. Um, And so that takes you down that dark road at the whole time. Who's watching your daughter? I am. And that's gotta be pressure. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, know, looking at in a mirror and then looking at your daughter and I mean, that's, you don't have to be a therapist, but that's gotta do some stuff to your brain. Yes. So when does it come to a point where you're like, hey, I think I need some help?
2: Um well (laughs) there were many times I thought I needed help. You know, went to prison, have done the whole How long did you do in prison? A year. Almost a year. Getting arrested, you know, my criminal background, my rap sheet now is like pages longer than I actually Thought it was when I went to go get it expunged, she comes out with this file, an inch thick. I'm like, "Ooh, really? I don't even remember half of it, but I'm sure I did it." Yeah. Um. But ten years ago, going on ten years ago, Mm -hmm. um, the choices that I made in my addiction led me to becoming HIV positive. Okay. Which was a great reason to stay in the needle, you know. Uh huh. Um, stayed in a toxic relationship because of it the person who gave it to me um, I stayed with him just because I thought well now my life's over no one else is going to want me so stayed in that until I just couldn't anymore
0: you got sick and tired of being sick and tired
2: very so what was that like
1: learning that you had HIV
2: earth crushing You know, because of the stigma that is still surrounded, um, still surrounding HIV, it. Oh, I'm tainted. I'm, you know, less than. I'm dirty. I'm like I just hated myself, ashamed of myself. I didn't tell my family for the first five years, Hmm. so I was just like, oh, it's going to be the death of them, and oh, how do I, oh God, how do I tell them?
0: So now you're afflicted with two things that are heavily stigmatized. Mm Hmm. And your only way to see through it is just to stay in the situation you're in. Mm-hmm. But that's killing you.
2: Literally. How do, how do you
1: manage HIV?
2: Um, so I am on medications which make me undetectable. And if you are undetectable, it is not possible for you to transmit the virus. So undetectable equals untransmittable.
0: Okay,
1: and I've heard that from mm-hmm. a lot of people, and and you feel that's working for you in your life right now.
2: Absolutely. Well, good. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I met someone who, you know, we went out on two dates. So after I left the toxic guy, mm-hmm. I met this guy, and we went out on two dates, and I was like, oh man, just the fear of rejection. I gotta tell him. Yeah.
0: Um, I can't even imagine what that self conversations like
2: oh wow it's paralyzing because you know we all have a fear of being rejected anyway somewhere on some level uh-huh we want to be accepted um so knowing that i have this thing now i just got up the courage and i was like look i don't want to start this relationship off on a lie I really like you. You know, we're really vibing with each other. But I have to let you know that I'm HIV positive. And he sits there and he's like, okay, well, what does that mean for me? I said, well, you're good. Like, it doesn't mean anything for you. I'm undetectable. Explain that whole thing to him. But I just, I want to let you know because it's the human respectable thing to do. Yeah, definitely. And he's like, "Well, I don't care if you have HIV as long as I get to have you."
0: That's a keeper. Yeah. Are you still with this guy? Yes. Amazing. This so, guy, that's
2: a pretty good answer. Yeah. <laughs> and he he's the one who pushed me into getting into recovery. And I'd never had a guy ever that I've been with want me to be sober. What? Okay, well, maybe I'll try it. So, um, he also pushed me to speak out about it. He's like, you know, stop letting HIV be who you are and let it be a part of who you are because you are amazing. And it took him a couple years of like having his foot up my ass. Yeah. Speak out about it. Go find people, you know, who were just as broken as you, you know, as you were. Go, go help them.
0: So he got you into recovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Off air, you told me that you went in and out of probably eight different recovery centers. Mm -hmm. Is this one he got you into, was that the last one that worked? Mm -hmm. And where was that? That was steps. And what did you like about steps that you felt like it, it clicked this time? Or do you think you were just ready for the message?
1: I wanted it. I wanted it. So, you know, I feel like we've been doing this show long enough now and we've, collected enough data, so to speak, that I think that's the common factor. You know, there are a lot of great programs now out yep. there. There are some that we might say have different things than others. But I think the common factor in success is what you're saying. Because all is the other ready ones were for
2: court cases or, you know, to get this case dropped or because my PO wants me to or.
1: So you were doing it for other reasons, mm-hmm. not really because you were ready and wanting to be sober. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the common factor in success, right?
0: You know, I, 100%. And, and, and I think recoveries are like gyms. You know, there's a lot of gyms out there. And they've got a lot of the same stuff inside there. And any one of those gyms can get you what you want if you do the work and desire the yep. change. And so you just you have got to be, you know, you can find it in AA. You can find it in NA. You can find it in steps. You can find it white knuckle. You can find it on your knees if you want. But you have got to be able to put the work in and say, this is what I want for me. I want it for me because I deserve it. Mm -hmm. Not any other reason than that. I want it for me because I deserve it. And sometimes that's the hardest hump to get over is because I deserve it. Because you have found yourself down dark roads. You have found yourself in situations that you never thought you would be. But here you are and you've got to live in it. And so sometimes you don't think you deserve it. I, I and I only speak for me from experiences. Like well, I don't think I deserve it. I have, I have wasted everything that's been given to me. Why do I deserve a second chance? And once you decide you do, and you're willing to fight for it, yeah, the world's unstoppable.
1: Mm-hmm. But you kind of mentioned. I mean, you didn't use this term like self worth, but I got the sense from what you're saying that it's at at that point, you've learned that you're HIV positive. You've you know, ha- had a failed marriage. You're struggling with an addiction. I assume that your self-worth was pretty low at that moment. But then you meet this person. Was there something about the relationship with your uh, with your guy that, that helped you find self-worth? How, I, I assume that – I mean I want to put words in your mouth, but I assume that you found some self-worth that got you to that point where you're like, yeah, I want this for me.
2: Um, well, it was actually getting into recovery. Well, I had never had anybody – want to do recovery with me and I was like wow he sees something in me that I don't
1: well you said something interesting you said I've never been with a guy that wanted me to be sober
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm gonna peel that back a little bit And you correct me if I'm wrong that's sort of like saying oh wait a second there's a guy who really just wants me to be me mm-hmm. exactly and that's that seems like that was a new and maybe exciting slash scary
2: experience yes. to have
1: somebody want to know you for you
2: yep Um, but it was in recovery that I finally accepted my status and stopped letting the diagnosis define me. Um, and that's actually when I found my purpose, you know, because every other time it was just going day to day, floating, not really having any future plans or goals, um, and I've been in recovery for three and a half years. I have founded a nonprofit. I do mobile HIV and hepatitis C testing. I get people treated for free, um, harm reduction navigator, uh, peer support specialist, HIV patient navigator for the University of Utah, and HIV advocate. So. That is amazing. Look at all that. That
1: th- proving my point that people. Who are in recovery do some of the greatest work in our community. That is wonderful.
0: And, and I, what I love is that it, it's a theme that it, it's constant in a lot of recovery is making your mess your message, mm-hmm. and uh, your message is out there helping those that
2: where you were and get to where you are. Yep. Ninety five percent of my clientele uh, are still actively using. Um, we are in a hepatitis C epidemic right now. That. Is not being talked about another epidemic. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, but it's not talked about because they're it's druggies exactly. So, I am the voice for the voiceless. You know, just because just because I'm using doesn't mean I don't deserve equal well, access to re- healthcare. The
1: harm reduction exactly component, which I hope is growing in legitimacy in our communities. Mm-hmm. That we understand that it's not all about either being inactive addiction or sober but there's a lot of space in between and Mm -hmm. as people kind of grow and change and develop self-worth and develop a desire to change like we need to support them through that Mm -hmm. and so harm reduction makes a lot more sense than just like hey if you're using you don't get any access to help yeah which doesn't make any sense at all personally i don't think
2: but we find a lot of that in the state yeah but i think it's changing do you do
1: i mean you're on the front lines of this but the road to recovery is a road, and sometimes it's a long
0: road, and it's going to take you a while to get there. A lot of people think in addiction is so cut and dry. Either you're using or you're not using, and that's how the normies, if you will, see addiction.
2: Yeah.
0: Either they're inactive addiction or they're not, and there's nothing in between. But there's a ton of in-between for those in addiction and getting to where they are. I mean, it took you in and out of eight different recoveries until you found the one and were ready to hear the message and get fit. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's amazing. If people want to find out more information about the services you provide or any more information or whether they just want to bend your ear and talk to you a little bit more, can they find you somewhere?
2: Absolutely. So the name of the nonprofit is Hope on Tap because we don't serve beer on tap. We serve Hope on Tap. Nice. Oh, yeah. Um, And Tap is with two Ts and two Ps. And it's uh, testing, treatment, and peer-led prevention. Oh, I like it. So Hope on Tap, T-T-A-P-P.
1: How does that work? Can they find find where you're going? um,
2: dot hopeontap.com. Okay. Um,
1: And do you have like a mobile center that goes around? Yeah.
2: I just – I come to you wherever you need me to. Great. You
0: know we've been doing this podcast for four years, and every time I sit down, sometimes I wonder: Are we going to hear that story again, or this story again? Mm-hmm. And they're all wonderful stories, and they're all a little bit different. But your story today is a unique one, a great one to share, and the one that's going to save and help so many others. So, Saquon, thank you very much for stopping by and sharing your story. You're, it's, you're welcome. It's thank amazing, you for me. and I'm proud to call you a friend, and 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 I'm
1: impressed with all the wonderful things you're doing.
2: Thank
0: you. Pretty amazing.
1: Very amazing. In fact, um, you know, you're the first person that's come on our show and talked about HIV or any, you know, transmitted diseases that are part of the community of drug abuse and, Mm -hmm. and addiction. And I appreciate you being willing to do that. That's part of you know helping people get healthy that we don't talk a lot about and i don't think we've even really had the opportunity with all the guests that we've had to talk to somebody about that so i really appreciate Absolutely. that and i love <clears throat> i love the I, the idea of access i work in healthcare and access is one of the biggest roadblocks in mental health is access yep. and the fact that you have a mobile uh, group that can come around and do testing and help people find resources i mean that's fantastic I, I wish you all the best well thank you have a
0: wonderful day thank you for stopping by and sharing your story
2: i will thank you for having me
0: and we want to say thank you for stopping by and listening to another episode of project recovery and in case you forgot
1: project recovery is what it's a ksl podcast so you're selling pressure doesn't make diamonds i'm saying it, let's all buy into that yes okay. it does okay